ultimately, I just think the Giants are going to squeak this one out. I just think they're going to pull off the upset. I, I think they're going to they're going to send the Eagles packing for the for the season. They're going to end this quote unquote dream team, and they're going to go on and they're going to play in the NFC Championship game. <laughs> Giants are starting to feel like a team of destiny, aren't they? Go one road playoff game down, another to go with Philadelphia. Is this the best case scenario for the Giants in the divisional round? The Philadelphia Eagles on the road. We have so much on that and more coming up next during the program. But first and foremost, it's the Giants Wire podcast. Welcome into the show and buckle up because the New York football Giants just won their first playoff game since Super Bowl 46. Dan, how you feeling about your football team right now? What a wild ride. I mean, seriously, what a wild ride this has been. Uh, but I can't say I'm surprised. I'm sure anybody who listened to the show last week, you know, they realized how confident I was going into that game. I never doubted it, never doubted myself in that game. Uh, as far as my prediction went, I, w- I was 100% certain the Giants were going to win that game. There's just a different feel. There's just a different feel in East Rutherford these days. Things have changed. Culture has changed. I think John Mara said it best. The Giants, they're back. They're back, man. They're back. And that was impressive against the Vikings. They did control that game. Uh, The voice you just heard, of course, is the voice of Dan Benton. He's the managing editor of USA Today's Giants Wire. I'm Ryan O'Leary playing host, and let's dive right in here. And I think the the way the Giants handled that game against the Vikings, Dan, I mean, we we were all confident going in. We all thought the Vikings had some one and done potential, you know, like, you know, we, we thought they could be the team that lost the home game in the first round of the playoffs. We thought the Giants were a tough matchup for them, all of that. But you take out the four play drive that kind of ran out the clock at the end of the first half and the Giants really they scored on their first four drives of the game. Right. Three of those drives were touchdowns. It was just a statement right by the Giants, by Coach Dayball, especially Daniel Jones. I'm, I mean, I'm at the point now, Dan where when the Giants put the ball in DJ's hands, I'm expecting good things to happen. And clearly the Giants are feeling the same way because they literally put the ball in, in DJ's hands, right? And he delivered, and the Giants were in control of that ball game really from start to finish, even after the Vikings went up 7 nothing early. Yeah, I mean, listen, Daniel Jones right now is playing with some of the most confidence I've ever seen him play with, uh, some of the most confidence I've ever seen anybody play with. He, he's just out there. He, he's a field general at this point. He's doing it with his arms. He's doing it with his legs. He's doing whatever is necessary at all times. He's coming up big on third downs. Uh, you know, you need a sneak to get a, a yard for a first down. He's got you covered. If it's, you know, third and 13 and he's throwing to somebody toe-tapping along the sideline, he's got you covered. Uh, and, you know, what's most impressive is, they're doing this without Saquon Barkley having a huge workload. Now, to Saquon's credit, he's getting the job done when he does touch the ball. But, you know, the Giants started this season, and it was Saquon first, last, and always. And, you know, over the last, you know, six weeks, it's been the Daniel Jones show with Saquon backing him up. And Saquon even actually said that himself. He can be Batman. I'll be Robin. And that's kind of how the Giants have taken it. And, uh, you know, kudos to Daniel Jones. If there's any doubters, if there's any critics out there left – you know, that's on you. You're in the minority now. And, uh, you know, it's time to give this kid his credit. It's time to give him his due. And unfortunately for Joe Sean and the Giants, it's also time to give him a huge, huge bag of money. So. <laughs> yes, yes. And we could talk about that. I mean, I mean, case in point, uh, those that, you know, are still doubting. And I think those they have to be we have to be turning most of the doubters by now. Dan, the Giants ran 68 plays in the game and DJ had 35 pass attempts and 17 rushes. So, you know, it's scary when I start doing math, 
But that means on 52 of the Giants' 68 offensive plays, 84%, the Giants kept the ball in DJ's hands, right? And, and what was the result? Long, efficient, clock-grinding drives that allowed the Giants to not only stay in control of the game, but, uh, but win it in the end, right? I mean, even when the Vikings pulled e- even at 24, I still felt like the Giants had it, right? They respond with a 12-play, 75-yard drive, I'm sorry. DJ converts the 4th through one conversion. It was just a season-defining moment, right, for, for DJ and, of course, Saquon with that amazing uh, rushing touchdown where he just would not be denied. It was, it was great. It was a great yeah. moment for the Giants. And now, yeah, you just mentioned it. We've talked about this question before, probably a month ago, uh, and maybe er- even earlier in the season when we started talking about, ooh, should we extend DJ now? Maybe we could get away with, like, 10 or 12 million a year for yeah, DJ. Gee, yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's it's comical get- to think about now. <laughs> yeah, it's getting, uh, it's getting expensive. We've asked the question before. Let's revisit it. Are DJ and Saquon a package deal this offseason? And I think at this point, Dan, given you know quarterback versus running back, I think DJ is definitely priority number one. Maybe Saquon is priority 1B, right? Uh, because the quarterback's going to get paid. I think the big question is, what about the running back? So what do you think? What yeah. are you thinking now about this package deal that we talked about maybe a month and a half ago or so? Right. Yeah. Well, listen, the Giants have themselves in kind of a precarious position because I don't think anybody, maybe inside the building, but I don't think anybody outside the building kind of expected things to take the turn that they took here. Um, as far as them being the package deal, though, I, I listen, I've never shied away from that. I've, I've been saying since day one that I feel like they're kind of a package deal. You know, they they feed off of each other. They energize each other. You know, obviously, they're good friends away from the football field, too. Uh, they're captains. They're leaders. Um, they're everything that this team needs to succeed. And when one has a bad day, the other one picks up the team. And that's just the way it's been all season. Uh, like we just said in the previous segment, you know, early on, it was the Saquon show. Now it's the Daniel Jones show. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's a 50-50 balance, but it doesn't matter. You know, one way or another, one of those guys is getting it done together. You know, they're they're electric. You know, teams can't, you know, they can no longer sell out on stopping Saquon, which makes him that much better. And, um, you know, they, they like I said, they kind of feed off each other. They make themselves better. They make those around them better. Um, I think it would be foolish to split them up. Uh, I'm not saying that they can't, ex- you know, succeed individually on their own. They certainly can. Uh, but together, I think, you know, they're the fuel that that keeps this train going forward. And, you know, whatever the cost may be and whatever process, you know, the Giants have to take to get there, whether it's franchising one and extending the other or, you know, maybe a transition tag as they negotiate a contract, whatever it takes. They got to keep both of those guys in Giants blue. That's what I'm rooting for, for sure. And and my, I think that you just nailed it, Dan, for at least you always nail it. But what I was thinking in my in my head as you were talking and then you said it, uh, I'm expecting an extension for Daniel Jones or, or a new contract for Jones that keeps him with the Giants. I, I think that's coming after the way he's played. And then some, maybe a tag for Saquon. Right. And he might not love that. Uh, but I, I think some type of tag and, and working with Saquon to keep him as well. But what what's also interesting is looking at like Joe Shane who worked under Brandon Bean and looking back at the bills and how they do stuff with their running backs. And I just, the top of the market running back contract, not really a Brandon Bean thing over in Buffalo, right? You look at how they've handled the running back position. If we can maybe look at the bills and like glean anything from that, Dan, you know, like Devin Singletary was a third round pick in 2019. Zach Moss, who they traded this year at the deadline to the Colts, right? Uh, he was a third round pick in 2022. The, the draft that just happened in 2022, second rounder was James Cook. 
So the Bills are doing that draft a running back thing every year almost, right? Every year, every other year, third round, second round, fourth round. A strategy a lot of teams do. That's kind of how the Bills have been handling it. And, you know, the top of the market thing, paying your you know, paying your star running back who is right around, right around the rushing leaders for the season, like the heart and soul of your team, that type of deal, and then giving him the big money for a second contract. Not exactly how the Bills have done it. So that's interesting. Like, what's Joe Shane going to do, right? Is Joe Shane going, is he going to do his own thing and buck that trend? It's not what Brandon Bean has done in the last three or four years. That's what I'm kind of interested in in this offseason. Yeah. But hopefully the offseason is a long ways away, Dan. Right. It, well, yeah. It, and it still is. And the Giants obviously have, you know, at least another week. But we'll get more into that later. Uh, but as, as far as it, it's important to remember that back during the bye week, uh, Shane and the Giants tried to extend Saquon then. They had conversations about a long-term contract extension. Obviously, there wasn't enough time to get it done, so they tabled it to the offseason. Um, but, you know, despite what's changed as far as how Daniel Jones has taken over as the leader of the offense, uh, with Saquon kind of being, you know, the next, you know, like you said, 1B kind of guy, uh, I, despite all that, I still expect them to come back to the, you know, the negotiation table and try and lock down Saquon long-term. Um, ultimately, I think if that fails, like you said, you know, slap the franchise tag on him, it's probably going to be easier to get Daniel Jones under contract, even though it's going to be a bloated number at this point. Um, I, I can't imagine for the life of me that that kid's going to want to leave New York, uh, given that he's finally found some consistency and success as far as the coaching staff goes. And again, that's assuming the Giants don't lose either of their coordinators. Uh, it would be it would be unfortunate for Daniel Jones to have that happen, um, you know, because there's been so much change. Uh, you know, as far as the GMs, the executives, the staff, uh, the offense, you know, all of that. So I, I don't think he wants to go back out there and and, and move on and, and, you know, change again, new quarterback coach, new offensive system, anything like that. So I'm not saying he's going to give the Giants any kind of hometown discount. He may, but I, I just I think he wants to remain in place where he is. And that will, you know, that'll benefit the Giants when it comes to negotiation. Uh, Saquon probably would be more willing to to move, but I don't necessarily think he wants to. He's expressed a desire to stay. Shane has expressed a desire to keep him. Ultimately, I think they figure it out. How they structure that contract, if they do land, you know, Saquon long-term is going to be interesting because I do agree with you that they don't necessarily want to pay at the high end of the running back market. Most teams don't these days. Uh, of course, the game itself is changing, and we've talked about that on the show this year. You know, the pendulum swings both ways, and it's sort of coming back around where dominant defenses and the running games are, are, are sort of becoming more key uh, to success. And, and that does bode well for Saquon, but it also provides the motivation that Shane may need to keep him in tow. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and then they have to, you know, address the wide receiver room. And, and we're going to talk about the wide receivers here. we got a, a couple guys we want to hit on uh, and, and some big things that happen in this game against the Vikings in the wide receiver group. But they got to address that, Dan. But you're not just going to stumble upon a great wide receiver this offseason, right? There's not a lot that the, we talked about the free agent pool, unless you love Jacoby Myers over in New England. Yeah. He might be the best receiver available or Sterling Shepard uh, testing out, you know, maybe seeing if he's still got anything. But uh, I think he'll return, actually. OK, cool. That, well, that would be something. But, you know, you're not just going to find like a, an alpha wide receiver one type of player unless you probably trade for him this offseason. And that, right. that and that's right. that's not easy to do. That's that's hard work. So we'll see if that happens. But uh, let's let's talk some wide receivers here in terms of the guys we have. Dan, Kenny Galladay, uh, his pancake block that pe- people are calling this the pancake block on Duke Shelley spring Saquon Barkley for a big first down in the red zone. Right. Uh, on that game winning drive that that what I like I said earlier, 
that statement season defining drive by the Giants after the the Vikings had tied the game at 24 they answered 12 plays 75 yards uh, a ballsy fourth and one conversion bypassing the field goal great call by Dayball we all know what he was going to do anyway there right none, none of us thought they were kicking a field goal there forget it they're going uh, just aggressive to the end and it ends in that Saquon Barkley go ahead score and people are loving Kenny Galladay's block because he knocked uh, Duke Shelley up right on his ass twice and uh, I think the the mouth guard went flying as well, Dan. And uh, yeah, and uh, and people are loving it because Kenny Galladay played four snaps in this game. He's not part of the game plan, and he knows it. Uh, you know, Isaiah Hodgins, who just got here, is wide receiver one, right? The, he's the player that everybody expected Galladay to be, to be, unfortunately, and that can't be easy to swallow. But Galladay went out there for four snaps as a professional and made a play on you know again the season-defining drive for the Giants. And, and fans just cannot eat this highlight up enough, right? This is just, I'm sure on Giants Wire, there's been a lot of fun interactions, right? Because you put this highlight anywhere, fans are loving it. Yeah, they are. And, and they should. And I think it's it's more about how it, fans feel good for Kenny Galladay. And listen, I know they've been exceptionally hard on him, and perhaps rightfully so. Uh, he's certainly not lived up to his contract. His time with the team is likely winding down. He knows that too. So I, I think more than – I think the, the block itself, the pancake, was was more about all of that than it was about the block itself. Now, listen, when you watch it just – you know, on film as it is, it's still a great block. Yeah, you know, the, the defender slipped a little bit and was kind of falling forward. But, you know, Galladay had the right hand placement. He got him up off of his feet, didn't let him back up, put his, mushed his face into the ground. You you could see Saquon run right over to him and, and, and give him his due immediately after that play. And I, and I do think it speaks volumes about Kenny Galladay because he has gone through you know, a nightmarish time and, you know, over his first two seasons of the Giants this year in particular, uh, he, you know, he's, he's bit his lips, he's bit his tongue. He stayed quiet. He stayed professional. He goes to work every single day. He came into the game knowing that he was only going to have three, four opportunities to, to make something happen. And it probably wasn't going to come on, on the end of a target. So when, you know, the bell rang and it was time for him to make a play, he had four opportunities and he went out there and arguably made one of the biggest plays of the entire game. And I think ultimately everyone just feels good for him. And I think, you know, it speaks volumes about who he is as a professional to go out there and make that play in a huge moment, knowing that that's probably going to be your only opportunity. And he, he maximized it. And, you know, kudos to Kenny Galladay for that. Yeah. And, and I think it speaks everything about the team leadership. We just talked about Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, right? Why we want to keep those guys around. Those kind of guys. Brian Dayball, who shouted out Galladay after the game, right? Picking this player up because, again, I mean, if we're being honest, Galladay has been a flat-out bust, right? And he's still mm-hmm. playing hard. He's still play- He's finding a way to contribute. Again, four snaps. He goes out there, and he has the viral highlight. Like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It is. Um, cool. And I you know what? Go Listen, ahead. you could take a lot of things away from Kenny Galladay. You know, he's the lack of burst, the lack of separation, you know, completely falling off as a, as a target, as a receiver. But one thing that he does consistently whenever he's in the game is he blocks well downfield, and that really helps the team. Yeah, he can. Now, I will say this. He is a good blocker, Dan. And this is the part where I said you might get mad at me when we talk about Galladay. And uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous to even say this to you <laughs> because I know you're going to be mad at me. Uh, but you mentioned it, right? Duke Shelley slipped. He slipped. It wasn't a great play by him, right? Shelley thinks he's diagnosing the pass to Saquon. And he's like, oh, I'm going to get him. And he slips. And then right when he gets on his feet, Galladay plants him. And then Shelley tries to get up and Galladay gives him another little shove and says, no, nah, sir, you're down, which is which is a heads up play by Galladay. You can't take it away from him. But I do think like people are going like pancake, 
the greatest pancake. You know, the, the people are just going a little crazy with the headlines, Dan. I was, I've not that it's made me mad because again, I I'm happy for God. And it, it again, it says everything about the Giants and the leadership that that player wanted to make a play in one of his four snaps. I mean, that is pretty amazing when you think about it. But was it like this awesome hardcore like decleater? Like, not really. He fell. The, the, the defender fell. So I think it's getting overrated a smidge. Just a smidge, because again, it wasn't like on. I know, Dan. I know you're getting mad already. Sorry. Know. No, 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 no. Like I said, he did <laughs> slip. You got. I think everybody's got to own that. But I, I think it's more about the moment. You know, it's a, it's a big play and a huge moment that spurred on a first down and ultimately what was the game-winning score. And I, I think that needs to be taken into account. It wasn't just how the block looked; it's what the block meant. And listen, at the end of the day, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this saying a million times perception is reality and the perception is that kenny galladay put a whooping on shelly and that's just the <laughs> that's way true. it's gonna go down in history that's true with him falling on his ass with the mouth guard flying poor duke shelly right he uh, did get hit hard like slip or not he he got planted pretty good and it's not even so much the initial block that looked amazing i think when you go back and watch the film is that galladay mushes his face into the ground <laughs> on the second one it was like kind of like eat that you know what i yeah, mean and no I, mean, I think what was cool after the play is that everybody went over to Galladay and and congratulated him and I know like it wasn't a game-winning touchdown or anything like that but that that had to feel pretty good for that guy considering everything he's gone through this year now it was it was a hell of a moment and and again I'm I'm not trying to poo-poo the moment but I just think <laughs> I just got a kick out of like everybody calling it a pancake like he's like an offensive lineman and he really belly flopped <laughs> on top of him or something I'm like guys but no it was it was cool uh and then we mentioned well we we thought originally when Galladay signed that big contract 18 million a year on average we thought he'd be wide receiver one no it's 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 not him though he's out there blocking people uh but he's not out there part of the game plan it's isaiah hodgins it's isaiah hodgins dan wide receiver one wide receiver one yeah exactly i mean pundits fans at the trade deadline they're like look the giants have a chance here they're gonna make the playoffs you got to go trade for chase claypool or jerry judy or brandon cooks or whatever whatever names are out there at the time they end up not doing that they pick up Isaiah Hodgins off waivers, and Joe Shane nailed it, right? It's been a perfect fit for the Giants. This guy's awesome, and he was playing on a bum ankle too, Dan, by the way. Yeah, and I don't know if people saw that photo, but his ankle's messed up, man. It's it's pretty messed up, so it's it's He's made awesome. all the more impressive uh, that he was able to go out there and do that. He kind of made a joke before the game, if I'm if I can't run fast, this is why. And listen, he's not a burner. You know, he's never been a burner. He's not going to be a burner. That's just not how his game is. But what he is is a consistently talented and quality route runner who can play against man. He can play against zone. He he rolls. I think one of the most impressive things about him is that he rolls with Daniel Jones when Jones is forced out of the pocket and on the scramble drill. If you watch, you know, the coach's film, uh, it's one of the biggest things that stand out about Hodgins is he recognizes when he needs to move and where he needs to go to give Daniel Jones a lane. And I think that stems from those two working together so much extra after practice. Uh, it's really a testament to one, um, you know, his natural skill to his willingness to see the game in the field through the eyes of the quarterback and three, his willingness to put in that extra work and watch all that extra film with Daniel Jones. So the fact that he's been able to come in, pick all of this up and become, you know, sort of that security blanket for Daniel Jones speaks volumes about not what, not only what he is right now, but what he can be down the line. And I'm not saying it's a wide receiver one. I I still don't necessarily believe he's that guy. Um, but his upside is is much higher than people realize when the Giants claimed off of waivers. And and I think he's showing that week in and week out, even like you said, on the bum ankle. So 
credit to Hodgins. I, you know, I don't think, you know, the Giants are still going to go out there. They're still going to look for that wide receiver one. Um, they desperately need that still. I think that that uh, pass to, to Darius Slayton in the end zone, which, you know, fell incomplete is a perfect example of why the Giants need that wide receiver one. You put somebody else in there, some of these top guys, and, and that is a touchdown. You know, you throw in that to Justin Jefferson, and that's a score right there. And, and that's what the Giants are missing. And Hodgins doesn't necessarily give them that but he gives them a quality number two and potentially one of the better number twos in the league. If he continues to, you know, excel um, and, and grow as he is right now and develop as he is right now, he doesn't have a lot of football experience other than what he's, you know, played for the giants here. So the fact that he's producing at such a high level right now speaks volumes for what he can become. Yeah, he's great. I think in another thing it says is just says it should give, Giants fans some confidence in the new people in charge of personnel that they can identify a player that'll fit what they're trying to do right they just right, yeah. they just knew they just knew Hodgins would fit um and it's it's worked out great he's long he's got some yeah he's got he's got a good head on his shoulders he's got some toe tapping along the sideline I mean Very I say Hodgins, tumor like. oh oh god yes yes that was what a catch uh, the yeah, the throw by DJ amazing. the catch by Hodgins it does it brings back memories and you mentioned Darius Slayton Dan uh, before we get to the Eagles here, are you worried about him at all? I mean, that was that was a rough drop, right? I mean, and we've seen the Giants receivers drop passes all season long. So it's like, I'm sure while every Giants fan probably buried their head in their hands when that happened, it's like, well, well, well what else is going to happen in this moment, right? Of course, we dropped the ball. But for Darius Slayton personally, like wide open game in his hands and he just drops a ball. He catches 99.9 times out of 100. I mean, are you worried at all about him moving on from that? I don't. I actually kind of have a feeling uh, because of the leadership of the team, because of the way Dayball immediately went over to him and picked him up, how Saquon picked him up, how Jones picked him up. I think Slayton's going to come back and have a big game on Saturday night. I just think he's going to be motivated by that. I don't think that's going to be something that he lets spiral out of control, wreck his career, kill his confidence or anything like that. I think he's going to use that and he's going to turn it into a positive um, it's great that the Giants were able to come back and win the game after that. You know, Slayton essentially had, you know, listen, he he catches that ball, he turns up the corner, he's going to run for a first down. There's no one there. And, and even if there are, he's fast enough to outrun them anyway. So I, I'm sure he felt absolutely terrible after dropping that and potentially costing his team the game. Uh, but, they, you know, listen, they picked him up literally and figuratively. So I, I think he'll he'll look to not necessarily reward them, but pay them back on Saturday night. Um, for that. And, and I expect him to have a big game. I think the unfortunate thing about Slayton is as talented as he is, and, you know, he's going through this roller coaster himself. You know, you want to talk about Kenny Galladay going through a roller coaster. You know, Slayton's going through one too. And as good as he is at times, as dominant as he is at times, unfortunately, his career is probably going to be defined by big drops because he just, he seems to have too many of them. It's not like Evan Ingram level and apologies to Evan Ingram, who actually has had a great season himself. Uh, but that's just who he was with the Giants. And I don't think it's at that level, but Slayton does drop entirely too many passes. And 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 what is really, you know, sad about it is that they often come in big moments. And, you know, we can criticize him a little bit for dropping that touchdown. I, I, again, I, I think that's a wide receiver. One ball it was a great pass. It's it's not something that some of these other guys are, are going to catch. It's very contested. That's that's a, you know that's a Justin Jefferson kind of pass. But the one where you're wide open going over the you know the middle and, and you have the opportunity for a first down and it's just a mental thing. And, and he's got to get over that. He's got to forget about it. And I think he will. Yeah, you said it. I thought it was really cool how Saquon Barkley went right up to him and even Daniel Jones like. I think 
85% of the quarterbacks would have thrown their hands in the air and barked at him. You know what I mean? For dropping that. And DJ didn't, Dan, right? He just uh, yeah. he just had the yeah, same DJ, look on his face as he right, always DJ does. DJ went right, right to him and said, listen, I'm coming back to you. Yep. Yeah. You know, so When the opportunity presents itself, I'm coming back to you. So you got to be ready for it. 100%. So the Giants, uh, they play for each other, man. They do. They're, they got that thing that, you know, it's people bring up 2011 uh, Giants. I'm thinking back 2001 Patriots kind of vibe where, you know, they were kind of the first team to come out of the tunnel together as a team. It was always the... Uh, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. announce each each offensive starter individually coming out of the tunnel. No, the Patriots said we're coming out of the team after the Rams did it individually just to sh- make them look like idiots, which is kind of fun. <laughs> but the I Giants, that, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, the Giants just have that thing that they're they're playing for each other. They're kind of the gritty underdogs. They're the team nobody wants to play. They're they're hot. And what does that mean going up against the Eagles this week, Dan? And and I know people love to get the great Danton's pick. You were very very confident in the Giants, as was I last week against the Vikings. You picked the money line, not even the spread. You said they were going to win it. Uh, and uh, just to share with people, you sent me a, a private text now, Dan, that I'm going to share. Uh, you said that this was the best case scenario for the Giants playing the Eagles. Well, explain yourself, Dan. Why is this a great scenario for the Giants, who are seven and a half point dogs as we speak? Yeah, uh, listen, I don't, I don't care about the spread. I'm tossing that out the window this week. <laughs> I think you got to do that with divisional games and especially NFC East games anyway. You know, they're they're wildly unpredictable. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're different every single time. And I know some may scoff at that because the Eagles have had the Giants number for what feels like forever now. But circumstances have changed. And I think for the Giants in this case, it was either traveling to Philadelphia or traveling to San Francisco and you know, listen, they would have been ready for either of them. And I don't think they're going to come out and say, oh, we wanted one more than the other. But at this point, you know, if there's a hotter team than the Giants, it's the San Francisco 49ers. So, you know, you, you want to get to a bigger game um, against the 49ers than a divisional round, because, you know, that's when all bets are off, really. So I think for the Giants, the best case scenario for them was to go to Philadelphia. And I say that not just because, you know, it's the third time they faced them, and the Giants have progressively gotten better against every team they faced multiple times this season. You can go back and watch the original Dallas game compared to the second Dallas game, the original Washington game compared to the second Washington game, Minnesota, obviously, where they came away with the win, even though the Giants' third stringers were playing in the second game against the Eagles. They played, you know, better than they did, obviously, in that first game, which was very ugly. I think you could throw that first game out the window. You know, there was no Xavier McKinney. There was no Leonard Williams. There was no Adoree Jackson in that game. And, you know, going into the Vikings game, that's, you know, that's sort of what I said, too, is that, listen, these guys are back and they're going to make a difference. And, you know, listen, Adoree Jackson essentially shut down Justin Jefferson. Xavier McKinney played well. He he recorded the game-saving, game-winning tackle. Leonard Williams was an absolute menace on the inside. The, these are guys that the Eagles haven't seen at all, not once this season. So the Giants have that added advantage of health uh, going into this game. And the Eagles, on the other hand, have kind of looked like a shell of their earlier self, even when Jalen Hurts came back in. And he's, you know, listen, he's practicing in full, but the reality is his shoulder is still banged up. And I, I said that, you know, after watching that final regular season game, I'm like, you know, even though he's back, that just something seems off. And, and it's kind of seemed that way for the entire team over the final month of the season. They just don't seem to be what they were. So for the Giants, not only are they going into this game healthy, not only are they going into it with a wealth of knowledge about their opponents, um, I just think they're hot at the right time. And the Eagles, you know, they were kind of sitting around for a week. Uh, not to say they're going to get 
rusty. Obviously, it, it helps him in terms of health, but I just think that the Giants overall have an advantage uh, going into this for all of those reasons. And just because, listen, it's not easy. And I know people, <laughs> I know people hate hearing this. And I, and I even saw it on Twitter this week how they're they're tired of hearing it, and they were, you know talking about it as far as other divisional games, it's really difficult to beat a team in the NFL. It's really difficult to beat a team twice in the same season in the NFL. It's nearly impossible to beat a team three times in the same season in the NFL. And it does happen, but it is rare. And I think that gives the Giants, you know, just a little tiny little bit of an added advantage. And the fact that the Eagles only technically saw the Giants starters once this season and three of the Mark's key players were not in that game. Um, they're getting a whole different Giants team than they saw in that Week 14 game. Nothing about this team is the same as it was then. So while the Eagles are going to trot out the same exact thing, the Giants are going to be like an entirely different opponent for the Eagles this week. Oh boy, Dan, you sound fired up for this ball game. I don't. Know. I don't think Saturday night can come here soon enough, can it? You're fired up, man. I love it. I love oh, it. I hate the Eagles. I'm not even <laughs> yeah, I know. I think. I mean, does it get better than this? Come on, it's I, Giants Eagles. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm. I know I'm supposed to be unbiased and all that stuff. I don't care. Oh, forget I, I despise the Philadelphia Eagles. No, you're... I've always despised the Philadelphia Eagles, and I will forever despise the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> you were spitting venom, just like most Giants fans are right now at their computer screens. It's great. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts' health is the X factor, right? I mean, how healthy is he going to be? Is he going to be uh, the same player in the run game if he's not? If yeah. he's limited? I, I agree with you. I think there is an advantage for the Giants on defense. Yeah, uh, And you got to yeah. remember, there's there's more than just those returning players. When they played the Eagles in the last two times, there you know, listen, there was Landon Collins in the last game, uh, but there was no Gerard Davis. You know, th- that's essentially five players that the Eagles didn't see uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And in, uh, in week in week 14. So to think that they're going to go out there and I know that that everybody on the Eagles side is laughing, thinking this is going to be a, a cakewalk. I hope the Eagles themselves feel that same way. I truly do, because it's not going to be as easy as they think it is. If they go in like that, Dan, they're going to get beat. They're going to get beat. The Eagles will. Um, yeah, because they the, the Giants are a team that now look, I think talent on paper, the Eagles have more talent. Uh, oh, there's uh, no yeah, doubt about yeah. it. There's, so, they're they're yeah. tremendously deeper than the Giants in terms of personnel. hundred uh, percent. So there's that. But the Giants have, again, they have a thing and they're tough. And, that it, the yeah. it factor. Yep, they do. And yeah. they're hard. But here, here's my question. The Eagles are sixth in the uh, Football Outsiders DVOA and defense, right? It's going to be a lot harder for the Giants to move the football in this game, right? I, I don't think they're going to be able to go out there and just make the mm-hmm. Vikings look like turnstiles <laughs> like they didn't like just like do whatever they want. The Vikings are bad on defense. The Eagles are not. The Eagles are really good on D. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Eagles had their way with the Giants in that first meeting, right? I mean, we, we said earlier the Giants scored on their first true first four true possessions against Minnesota. There was one drive at the end of the first half that kind of ran out the clock, right? But if you say, okay, your first three drives of the first half, your first drive of the second half, all scores for the Giants. Well, in week 14, the Giants punted on their first four possessions, right? They fell behind 21 nothing. So it was a lot tougher sledding against the Eagles. The Eagles have one of the best defenses in football. Uh, so what do you think about that matchup? Has that matchup changed? I know you're feeling good about the Giants' D going against this uh, Eagles offense with maybe an injured Jalen Hurts, and maybe they've lost some momentum over the last month. That's all valid. I think that's, you know... The Eagles were going 100 miles per hour, and then they basically uh, were stuck in neutral there for a month, right, Dan, when Gardner Minshew came came in. That just changed everything for this Eagles team. We don't know what we're going to see. I think that's totally valid. What about defense? Like, Giants, 
They're hot offense right now. DJ's hot going against this Eagles defense. That's going to be a lot tougher than the Vikings were. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's no doubt about it, but I, I, I don't like comparing it to the Week 14 game necessarily because the Giants are running a different offense than they were back then. You know, back then, at that point, it was still, you know, ride Saquon Barkley, and there was questions like, does Dayball really tw- trust Jones? Is he going to put the ball in Jones's hand? I don't think those questions exist anymore. It's very clear that Daniel Jones is the leader of the offense. He's taking complete control. Um you know, and it's not necessarily the Saquon show. They they kind of the Eagles they stacked the box. They sold out for Saquon in that first game, and it paid off because that was the game plan going in for the Giants. I don't think that's going to be the game plan this time. I think the Giants are a much more balanced offense now than they were then. I think Daniel Jones is playing at a much higher level than he was then, and I thought he was playing at a, a solid level even at that point. Um, I think Saquon's benefiting from that. Obviously, Isaiah Hodgins is more in tune with the offense now. He's kind of found his niche that he didn't necessarily have at the time. Uh, Richie James at that point was, you know, in and out. There, there was, you know, not necessarily certainty about his role. That's now, you know, solidified, and he's playing at a higher level. I think just overall the Giants offense is playing at a higher level. I think the key to this game specifically on the offensive side of the ball isn't necessarily the same that it was in Week 14, but – they need to get Evan Neal going because the Philadelphia Eagles are going to bring the pressure. That's just the bottom line. And if Daniel Jones is going to have to continually run for his life, that's going to put them behind the eight ball. So it's time for Evan Neal to just find himself in some way. He just has to play average football at this point. And I think if he does that, I think on the other side, Andrew Thomas is going to be the lockdown all pro that he is. Uh, The interior offensive line is playing better. Um, I, I think so. I think that's ultimately going to be the key where this game is either won or lost. It's going to be whether or not Evan Neal can slow things down. And if he can, that's going to open up the offense for the Giants and allow them to do a lot of the things that we've seen lead them to this point. It's really true, Dan. It's a good point because the pressure is coming from one side of the line, isn't it? <laughs> the pressure is mm-hmm. really only coming from Evan Neal's side, which is which is wild. And obviously the Eagles will try to attack there. Uh, so that'll be something to watch. Uh, so, okay. Let's get the great Danton's pick here. Uh, again, the spread is seven and a half points. I'm 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 happy. I'm rooting for the Giants. I'm probably happy to. That's a lot of points to give a hot Giants team. My gut says that this is where it where it ends, Dan. Uh, and I, I I'm I'm anxious to get your take. I feel like you feel pretty confident. You kind of sound like you did last week. So I'm I'm excited to get your pick. I feel like this is where it ends for the Giants. I think that the Eagles are a better team. Uh, they're at home, and I I just think. Th- they'll win the game. I just, that's my gut. I'm rooting for the Giants. I think seven and a half points might be too many. So I, I might be leaning to bet the uh, spread based on what you say, but uh, I think the Giants are a little ahead of, ahead of schedule. This is supposed to be a rebuilding year. <laughs> Here they are in the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. I think we talked all season, which team is going to win? The, is, are the Giants going to win a Super Bowl? We didn't think that. Now, maybe our minds are changing week to week here and that can happen. But, you know, when we talked throughout the season, we didn't, we thought the Eagles were a Super Bowl team. We didn't think the Giants were. We thought they were a team that might be able to win a playoff game, but I, I think all along, this is where I kind of expected it to end for the Giants. If they keep it going, I mean, what a story that would be. Uh, I, my gut says Eagles. I'm rooting Giants. Seven and a half feels like a lot of points for the way the Giants are playing. What do you think? What's what's the great Danton's uh, take on the game? 
I don't think the Giants run is over yet. Oh, I love it. I, I don't I love think it. the Giants run is over yet. I, I think that the Giants are going to go into this game. They're going to be obvious and and, and reasonable underdogs. Uh, I certainly don't think it's going to be easy. It's going to be a game that comes down to the very final moments, like you know most Giants games do, other than the one in in Week 14. I think the health is going to be the largest difference here, and that's not just about the Giants being healthy. It's about you know Jalen Hurts not being 100%. They could pretend all they want to that he's 100%, but one big hit from Dexter Lawrence. We're going to see how healthy he really is. And trust me, Dexter Lawrence is going to get that opportunity. Um, ultimately, I just think the Giants are going to squeak this one out. I just think they're going to pull off the upset. I, I think they're going to they're going to send the Eagles packing for the for the season. They're going to end this quote unquote dream team, and they're going to go on and they're going to play in the NFC Championship game. And then who the hell knows what's going to happen? Because at that point, it's a flip of a coin. Anything can happen. But I just think these Giants are too hot. They're too confident. And, and they're just too motivated to go into Philly and, and have that be the end, losing to, to Philly three times in, in the same season and, and all the criticism that's going to come from that. I, don't, I just don't believe that they're going to allow that to happen. And I don't know whether it's going to be Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley or who knows, because that's just the way this team is. Somebody is going to step up. They're going to make the big plays. And, and I think the Giants are I legitimately think the Giants are going to the NFC championship game. That's wild, man. Giants in the NFC Championship game. That would be uh, that'd be amazing, man. That'd be amazing. What a story that would be. Uh, it'd be so fun for us. It'd be so fun for you guys at Giants Wire as well, Dan. I mean, what's going on there for the next uh, for the next few days? You know, this pod drops on Thursday, so the, you know the last couple days before the game. I'm sure you guys will be having a ton of fun uh, getting ready for this game, getting fans ready for this ball game with with previews and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Lots of previews. There's going to be all kinds of different, you know, like our usual weekly previews. We're going to take several shots at Eagles fans throughout this week because that's just the way it's got to be. Uh, And who knows? You know, there's going to be all kinds of different things. Um, You know, it can't be full focus on the game, unfortunately, because there are a lot of like head coaching, you know, interview requests and things like that. Wink and and Kafka both getting looks, even though they're kind of delaying those interviews. Uh, But there's a lot of you know, scouting changes that are happening around the league, front office changes that are happening around the league. So, you know, we're going to be forced into covering some of that stuff because, you know, when you play for a winning team and you coach on a winning team, you know, the rest of the league has their eyes on you. So, you know, there's going to be some poachers out and about trying to steal from the Giants. <laughs> so we'll be covering that too. But mostly it'll be with eyes towards Saturday and what I believe is going to be another Giants win. Yeah, I think, well, Martindale and Kafka, they coached a hell of a game against the Vikings. So I'm not worried about them being distracted at all, Dan. They looked pretty dialed in so that was pretty good right if they do have i think they i think they'd see the same thing that i see Uh the opportunity is there nobody expected it to be there but the giants are it's crazy i can't even believe these words are coming out of my mouth the giants are within striking distance of the super bowl and i think everybody in that building realizes it they do a great job of taking it each game at a time and they know damn well right now that if they go into philadelphia and win this game anything can happen at that point, anything can happen at that point, and their chances of winning it all are just as good as anybody else's. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about the number one seed in the NFC. That was a freaking wagon for, you know, the first two thirds of the season the, until Hertz got hurt. Hertz got hurt. Uh, yeah, uh, They were a wagon. So you win this game, Dan. It's right there. You're in the NFC Championship game. You, you might be playing the Cowboys for crying out yeah, loud. Yeah, and here's the fun <laughs> fact for everybody. The Giants have never lost an NFC Championship game. Oh, that's a good stat. Now, I'm a Patriots fan, so I'm sure I'm I would have guessed that, Dan. It, it feels that way to me. It feels that way to me. Uh, they just yeah, always they, get they, there. Listen, if they make it that far, they're playing in the Super Bowl. That's just how it's yeah. always been. They always seem to win that. It's like, no, not the Giants, please. Not as a Patriots fan. It's like, no, 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 no. And then they get in. It's like, God damn it. No, 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 not you again. 
Eli there Manning. Was, there was a part of me. There was a part of me that they, I was hoping that it was going to shape up to somehow be, you know, the Giants versus Brady in the NFC Championship. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But that that would have been that would have been amazing had that happened. That would have been. That would have been fun. Not for Brady, but it would have been fun for everybody else uh, <laughs> watching. So for Dan Benton, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us on the pod as always. We appreciate you. It's been a fun ride with the Giants. We're excited to keep it going. Giants-Eagles on Saturday night. Can't wait. We'll catch you next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.